Hey guys, this is Love and Meats with Sasha Jaffrey, headline making, Guinness World Record breaking. But the cool thing about our conversation was he told us about the process of his art. What actually goes in to making these pieces? And honestly, I didn't really understand it until I got the words from the man himself. So he spoke about like just surrendering to the higher powers, letting them take the wheel on this. And you know, just a lot about gratitude. That's what he was speaking about. A very fascinating interview. So do give it a listen. Welcome back to the Love and Dubai Show. Headline making, Guinness World Record breaking, royal commissions, lunar ambitions, and most importantly, art for a cause. Welcome to the show, Sasha Jaffrey. Thank you wow, so much nice. for joining us. Good to see you. Good to see you too. I like the intro. It's good. Thank you. Hi. So you said you're not a morning person. I'm definitely not. No, this is. I was up at seven. I don't see the day at seven normally, unless I'm up all night. But no, I'm definitely not a morning person. <laughs> More of a night bird, night owl. Yeah, I paint through the night, so then I like I can go all the way to like twelve midday or all the way through the day. Yeah. Um, but waking up early, no. Definitely not. This is third coffee. Your bracelets, like, are you in? Like, do these beads have any significance, or it's just like a style? Um, I just, I collect them everywhere I go, and then they get covered in paint. Oh, as you can <laughs> see, right? So, and most of them for my daughter. So wherever she goes, she brings one back. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, it's nice. And there's a lot of blue going on. Is, does that have a specific <laughs> meaning for you? No, not really. <laughs> no. no, it's a cool look. It's, I just grab what's there, but then it ends up looking okay, right? A bit messy, but it's okay. Yeah. I have seen your name in headlines for years. Right. But now I get to meet the man. That's cool. Um, <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> but we want to know like your journey to becoming an artist and your background. Like, how did it all begin? Okay. Um, that's a long story. I'll give you like a, a, a yeah shorter version. Um, I where did it start? I was probably twelve, I guess ten, twelve, and there are only two things I could really do in life. Um, one was sport, and one was. Sort of draw the stuff, doodles and things, and I had a real. I was very dyslexic, like heavily, like chronically dyslexic. So I was bottom of the bottom of the bottom set, and the bottom guy was here, and I was here. Right, there was like a gulf, and I couldn't really make sense of the world. I couldn't make sense of numbers, letters, people, communication, nothing, and so I was really frustrated and angry, and like I just couldn't make sense of the world or anything around me. And the only time I could is if I was playing sport or painting. Wow. And then I played sport and I got a scholarship, and I, that was sort of what I was going to do—professional cricket. Um, and then I wasn't captain anymore because when you're captain, it's cool. You're in charge. You're, you're like, you know, it's very using your brain and you're working stuff out and it's strategy. And then I wasn't because I got to the top level, um, and I sort of lost interest, <laughs> threw my toys out the pram. And uh, painting was always my thing, and I just kept painting, and that's when everything just clicked and made sense, and that's how I just kept going from there, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So, what exactly? How is your process like for painting? Um, I paint from a meditative state, so I mean, like my brainwaves are in theta, um, which is a state of surrender. So they tested. I was chronically dyslexic, like I said, and uh, a lady, a crazy sort of, I think she was Swiss or something. Um, she was about eighty, ninety, even. Uh, she was head of dyslexia for Europe, and she was doing a case study on three people. And she uh, picked me to be one of them, and she studied me for like two years, and put um, brains—not um, brains—pads <laughs> on my brain. <laughs> not brains on my pads. She put pads on my brain, and uh, found that I had uh, two wires that weren't in the right place. Um, um, and she, so she said to my mum, 
okay, look, we can either operate. Um, we're not sure what will happen, but we can, and we it may, it may not be effective. It won't kill him, but it may not be effective. Um, or we can give him a series of exercises, and he can sort of train his way out of it and get these two brain synapses or whatever they're called to go into the right place. And my mum obviously said, "Yeah, okay, let's do that. Let's not operate." <laughs> uh, and so I was I, for like five, six years. I was had two images on a piece of paper, and I had to move the dog into the kennel with my eyes, and that made the brain rewire itself. Um, and through that process of doing that for years and years, I was then able to project imagery and move imagery, so it actually helped with my whole visual perception. Um, and then they found my brainwaves are in theta when I paint. Which is a state of surrender. You can't create in a state of surrender. It's a contradiction. Um, Mozart did it. Beethoven did it. Um, but not many painters that we know of. So that became quite interesting because I realised I'm in a very deep state of meditation. So I'm in a trance when I paint,、mm. which is cool. And so I sort of really looked into that and thought, how do I surrender more? How do, what do I focus on? What's cool about this? How could this become something special? And that's sort of what I focused on. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> It's weird, right? What a story! It's incredible.、Yeah. And what would you? How would you say? How would you describe your art to someone who hasn't seen it?、Um, all right, to like the full layman or someone who knows a little bit. Full layman. Full layman. <laughs> Let's go. All right. How do I describe? The thing is, okay. So you have surrealism, which maybe this the full layman does know.、Um, surrealism is when you take an object out of its natural environment. And you put it in a different environment, and it's surreal, right? Take the cup off the table, put it in the ocean. Take the watch off the wrist, put it in a tree. That's surreal.、Hmm. So what I try and do, I keep the object in its natural environment. I, I create surrealism, but with the object in its natural environment. So I keep the cup on the table, I keep the watch on the wrist, but I create surrealism, but not by taking the object out of its environment, by keeping it in and changing your relationship with the object itself. So, how do I, better way to explain that by changing the relationship with the viewer and the environment?、Mm-hmm. So, I create something, and that's called magical realism now.、Um, and it's like it's to do with how you connect with what's in front of you. So, basically, instead of you looking at my work like you do normally with a painting, you look at it, right, and you analyze it and whatever. I try and make the painting. I try and make it that it's made of energy, and that it projects itself from the canvas into you, and it connects with your soul, and it disconnects your brain. So your brain gets disconnected, your soul gets engaged, and you connect through the energy of the piece, not through the visual、um, makeup of it. If that、wow. makes any sense. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's through surrender, through like you surrender to something up there, and it either works or it doesn't. And the main thing you got to do is. You've got to realize that we're made of energy. Well, this is what I think. We're made of energy. We communicate at our most powerful and our most poignant through energy. So, our energy is made of our intentions. When our intentions become questionable, we emit static. Energy can't transmit through static,、mm-hmm. hence the breakdown of humanity. In simple terms. So, if I, as an artist, focus on my intentions, purifying my intentions, I then create an energy. That when combined with paint, vibrates at a higher frequency and connects with the soul, and changes the consciousness of those around within the world. Hopefully, so that's sort of the idea of what I try and focus on.
And it can become very powerful if you concentrate on your intentions. That's where it comes from. So interesting. That's so fascinating. Like you just don't think so much of thought goes into like, you know, when you create a piece of art, you would think it's just like your creativity flowing, but you don't think like there's so much more like intricacies that go behind in terms of frequencies and connecting to, you know, like your inner Yeah. Uh, like inner self but w- what do you have to say to all those people who look at art and abstract and uh, surrealism and go like oh I can do that anyone can do that like what are your what's your so anyone definitely can do that anyone can paint Mondrian anyone can create a Damien Hirst anyone can create a Rothko definitely it's the only thing that matters really I think the the mistake people make as artists like uh, up and coming artists students established artists, even the big names that you know, the mistake they make is they focus on one of two things. So they either focus on the finished product, what it'll look like, how they'll market it, who they'll sell it to, even how much, that's not cool, right? Or they'll go one step better and they'll focus on the process of creation. It's a bit better. But I think what you should really focus on as an artist, whether you're just beginning, whether you're thinking you might be able to do it, whether you're just doing it for fun, You focus on how you live your life. If you focus on your intentions, purifying them, you focus on how you live your life, living a life of grace, then every now and then you'll borrow a moment and something magical will happen. Something will spill out of you. You focus on that, how you live your life, and only that, and then something spills out that's magical. That's what being an artist really is about in its most powerful, most poignant way, I think. Otherwise, you're you're just creating aesthetics, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. Um, if you really focus on that, something amazing happens. You borrow a moment, but you have to remember, firstly, it's only a moment, and you're only borrowing it. So then you have to give it back, and you have to say thank you. Thank you for that moment. Then it keeps coming. As soon as you engage the ego and think, it's me, I'm amazing, look how great I am, and you forget you're just borrowing a moment, you lose humility and you, you, you embrace the ego, then those moments don't come anymore. And people call it writer's block or creator's block, but I don't think there's any such thing. I think it's when you forget, you forget to live a life of grace, you forget you're borrowing a moment, and you really engage yourself and think, I'm amazing, and then it doesn't come. So I think that's the most important thing as an artist to focus on, and then you'll go on a journey and things will spill out of you every now and then that are important or meaningful. That's it. Simple as that. <laughs> you say things that are so like touching oh, to the bless. soul, like it connects with you. Mm. And one thing that you do and that you mentioned is humanity and mm-hmm. I guess art for a higher meaning. Mm. How did Journey to Humanity come about? And tell us about it. And by the way, this made $62 yeah. million, dollars, third highest art ever sold for a living artist, Woo! which is just phenomenal. <laughs> But also it came with a meaning and tell us how it came about during a difficult time. Um, I just, uh, I mean, that was like the epitome of sort of what I'm about, I guess, as an artist, which is to focus on how you live your life, right? So I, this opportunity came during COVID when everything was shut down. I had to do something. I had to paint because if I don't paint, I become impossible as a human being, um, become very difficult to live with. So I had an opportunity to lay out a canvas and paint and sort see what happened, right? I spoke to the guys at Atlantis and... They said, yeah, it's cool. Let's let's see what happens, right? We can't use our ballroom. Let's see what happens. So I laid out this canvas and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, then Guinness approached us and said, um, 
this might be a world record. You know, this is huge. Um, let's see when you finish. And I just sort of carried on and COVID lasted longer and longer, right? It was like, we thought it was over and, oh, and there's no, it wasn't. So I was in there 11 months um, painting 20 hours a day <laughs> for 11 months. So, and I was in a trance for 11 months. So it was like, so it's hard when people ask me about it. I really, it's hard because I really don't know, right? I was in a trance, um, destroyed my body because I was in this crouched over bent position for 11 months in a trance. So you're not aware of what you're doing to yourself. You're not aware of the pain you're in or the damage you're doing. So my pelvis went out of line on two axes, that way and that way, which then threw out my, my uh, heels became dislocated from my ankles. Uh, two vertebrae in my spine just completely came out and nearly severed the central nervous system. So I was nearly like gone. Um, had to have two operations during, and I was having in, uh, pain injections every day. I was having two a day every day towards the end. So it was pretty bad. Um, but I was in this trance and I was surrendering and whatever was happening was happening. And it was a mess for a long time. It was just like a mess of paint. And then something sort of clicked and happened and something beautiful happened. Um, and then, I had this big thing on the floor, but the problem then was no canvas is that big, right? So it's made up of all these canvases sewed together and, and it, the paint was like that thick by the end, right? So I had all these bit, almost bits of cloth on the floor that were, a lot of them were damaged, a lot of them were unusable, the paint was sort of seeping through, there were bits that were like cracking. I'd used certain mixtures that were actually eating away at the canvas, it was like a mess. We're just about held together. And then the challenge was, I'd say, okay, if we're gonna sort of create something that people can view, because it was impossible to view, it was so big on the floor, right? You couldn't view it, unless you had a scaffold 100 foot high, and you had everybody up there looking down, but it's impossible. So um, I cut it all up, and I chose, I basically had to find the pieces that were decent, right? That were still alive, and that were beautiful, because a lot of the areas were just, brown or whatever. So I found the bits within it and then I had and then stretch them, you know, and create canvases proper, what you know as paintings. And then I had to reconfigure this on two walls, an L-shaped wall like that, like going that way and that way. So it could be viewed properly and then sold. And that was really tricky because it was something I'd spent 11 months creating in a trance. And then I spent probably two or three months reconfiguring it and creating an actual painting. Um, but it became really beautiful. The finished painting, which is called The Journey of Humanity, um, became so beautiful. And I have no clue how or what happened. But I know that I was like part of the process, but it wasn't me creating it. That's. Can I just ask, uh, 20 hours a day for 11 months, if you had a boss, I'd be going to them for labor laws, you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. how do you personally sustain that? Like, your, does your personal life just take a total hit? Like, how do you actually yeah, manage my, to cope? So my daughter, so my wife and daughter moved in to Atlantis and we were at Atlantis and we were there um, and it was shut down, right? So there was no, no one was there. It's like one security guy and there was a chef, which is lucky. So we had light food. Um, <laughs> And we, we built a Wendy house for my daughter in the ballroom. She was like five, I think. Yeah, five. And we built a, a Wendy house and she was like in there all day, just playing, drawing, coloring, whatever, play, coming on the canvas with me and helping a bit. And, and my wife was there as well. So we sort of lived in the ballroom. Um, and that's it really. Wow. I, I don't really know what happened. It was just, it was an amazing journey, you know, it was cool.
super cool. It sounds like you know it actually you wanted to make it work and you did make it work. Yeah. Uh, but tell us about the uh, Prince uh, King Charles coronation, the painting yeah. that he gave to the royal family. He's no longer the prince, right? Oh, sorry, yes, King Charles. <laughs> uh, that was cool. That was cool. So I, um, I've known William a long time. We were at school together, not at the same time, but same school. And then I sort of got to know him very well after school, and worked with his royal foundation, which was his charity, and a lot of mental health causes, a lot of things like this, and. Have sort of worked alongside him a lot, trying to raise money to help issues of mental health in England and then across the world. Um, so I got quite close to the family, and I knew Charles quite well because of that, um, and did a lot for Prince's Trust and blah blah blah. And then I was asked to create a painting to celebrate the coronation of King Charles. So that was quite cool. I was like, "This is okay. That's a big deal, right?" Um, and again, I went. In, I was in a trance. I surrendered, and I was the only thing I knew was. I wanted to create the the human, the man, the the soul, and not the king. Mm. And I wanted to like show people who he is as a man and his journey. At the end of the day, you know, we see world leaders and figureheads and celebrities and um, as being a sort of different type of human being, right? But at the end of the day, they're human. They have the same problems, the same worries, the same concerns, the same insecurities. That we have exactly the same, and I wanted to show his self-questioning, his insecurities, his all his feelings of doubt, of fear, of succession, of power, all of these beautiful things that make someone a human being. I wanted to show that in his face, in everything around him, so that when you looked at it, you connected with the human being. That was the main thing, um, and I did it with him, like in all his glory, but surrounded by this pool of water around him, like that. And that's like you know the the pool of water, I guess, denotes self-reflection, um, introspection, looking within, etc. Which I think he's had to do a lot on his journey, um, and it was quite powerful. And then it was it's gifted to His Highness Sheikh Mohammed as a gift um, from the British to the UAE, which is beautiful. So amazing! It's so so cool. Do you know where it's hanging now? Um, it's not. We're not really meant to say just yet. So it'll be an official handover, and then I will know. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll drop it then. <laughs> yeah. I'm conscious we're running out of time, so we're kind of zooming through projects Let's here. Zoom. But I just want to ask you quickly about you're taking your art to the moon. Uh, yeah. The first time it's ever been done. What's happening there? Yeah, that's full on. How long we got? But <laughs> <laughs> well, we have like two kind of key questions left. We right. five minutes. All right. I'll try. That's full on. Yeah. It's surreal. Big I can't time. really, I can't really connect with that. Um, so, okay, it's 50 years since NASA last landed on the moon, right? Um, people forget that. They just think NASA have been there loads. They haven't. So a lot of countries have overtaken, like India, Russia, China, even England, Japan, Germany, um, the UAE. What have NASA been doing? Yeah, <laughs> right. What have they been doing? <laughs> <laughs> It's a fair question. Waiting for you. What have they been doing? <laughs> no, they've been doing other stuff. But anyway, so they they've been working for the last 20 years to say we've got to make sure we land on the moon this year. This is quite important. Landing on the moon is a really difficult thing to do. People don't really understand. It's incredibly difficult. You can do a hard landing, okay, no problem, but that's basically a crash. To soft land on the moon, incredibly difficult. Um, so anyway, they've been working on this for a long time. Then they uh, approached me through a company called Spacebit, who are their partners on the mission. Um, they've got Jeff Bezos, who's Blue Origin, who's the rocket, the engine, all that. 
a company called Astrobotic who make the hardware for NASA. They make all the, you know, the moon lander, all that stuff. Um, you've got NASA CLPS who do the payloads, finding out all the information, the scientific stuff. Uh, you've got Selenian who are the curators of art in space. And anyway, they approached me and said, we're doing this mission. We'd love to take your work to become the first work of art to officially land on the lunar surface of our moon. And I was like, wow. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like three years ago. We've been working on it for three years, and I've basically created this heart-shaped piece on a moon-resilient plate that took two years to um, research and create because NASA said the only way we can corroborate this as the first official artwork to land on the moon is if we can prove that plate will last eternally. Otherwise, it's just there for a bit. It disintegrates. It's gone. So that was two years testing it to, to prove that it could last eternally. Eternally, as far as mankind understands, eternally. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the, the piece is like a heart. Um, it's uh, about that size, engraved on laser. I laser engraved it onto this moon Brazilian plate. And it's a heart with two figures entwined. Um, and around them is our world as it could be if we reconnected. So the idea is it shows the reconnection of humanity with two figures and then the world blooming and flourishing around it, um, as it could be if we actually reconnected as a humanity and, and sort of understood what love and empathy really means and understood a better way forward for our children and what the world might look like. So the beautiful thing of it, I think, is the symbolism around the idea of our Earth at night, the only natural light we have is the moon. So when we go into darkness, from the darkness comes the light. When we go into darkness, our moon is going to shine a light on us and it's going to shine it through my piece of work, my artwork, which shows this reconnection of humanity. So it's this beautiful wow. idea of that. And that to me is the exciting part. Super cool. Yeah. Oh my God. And so what's it's next for you? So many projects, so um, many I, I mean, I'm focusing on that. That's November. That's soon. Mm. We may not, it may crash, right? So let's hope it lands. If it does, it's really cool. And then eight, as it lands, there'll be a beep, beep, beep in the control room in Cape Canaveral. You'll see this sort of red dot go beep, beep, beep. And then eight heart NFTs will, NFTs will come out of it um, from the physical thing landing on the moon. Eight heart NFTs will come back to Earth. And the money that we create from selling those will raise money for charitable funds in, on our, in our world to help humanity get to where it could, you know, if it reunites and it's incredible yeah so that's happening that'll be cool uh, very much out of the box thinking for that one yeah it's yeah it's cool it's exciting so that is november so fingers november. crossed we know how that's, touch and go these moon landings can yeah. be and very finally in your words can you define what success means to you um yeah i guess <laughs> i think we we get very confused uh, and distracted about what we're here for I think we're, we're here for one thing, and that's for love, to find love. So the only thing we're, we're on this world for is to find love, to love and be loved. That's it. Everything else is just a distraction or a, um, what's the word, like a, uh, a red herring, let's say. It's, it's like a distraction from what we're really here for. So we're all searching for happiness and achievements and But at the end of the day, we just look for love. That's the only thing a human being is actually looking for. We just don't realize it. So I think if we find that, that's success. 
Love that to end the show. Before you joined, actually, we were chatting about dating profiles, and uh, <laughs> Simran's mom has her dating bio out in the ether. So we're talking oh a lot God. about finding love, about how important it is. It is. <laughs> It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're here for. Well, that's so beautifully said. And thank you so much for joining us on the show this Great morning. To see you. She's going to kill me for that. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on this Monday morning. And massive thank you to Sasha Jeffrey, what a legend. Thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Guys, Great that is you. all we have time for on the Love of Dubai show. We're back with you tomorrow morning, same time, same place. Bye bye from me. Goodbye. Bye.